Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. Welcome to another Look Podcast. I am your host, Brother Kenneth Davis, also known as Brother Kenny D. At Another Look Podcast, we dig deep, we examine our splinters, we examine our planks, we make changes, and then we give thanks. This is a podcast that will take a look at the church in America collectively, and we also take a look at the people of God individually. You ready for this? Let's get up and let's go. Good morning, AOP family. This is your brother, Brother Ken, coming back to you. It's September 13th, and um, I've been away for a minute, as you guys, uh, as I guess you guys have figured out. Um, you know, usually I do these every two weeks, and I, I needed to get away for a second. Nothing happened, per se, but um, I needed to consecrate myself. I needed to get away so I could hear from God for... Not so much what I wanted, but for what he wanted. Um, I always knew there was more to me. You know, I've poured out for almost two to three decades now into people's lives. And people have poured into my life. So it's always been a, a, recipro- a reciprocity or a reciprocal relationship where God would put people in my life that would pour into me. And I would pour into other people's lives also subsequently. And so, you know, I'm in a period now, you know, I'm older now and... There are people who still pour into my life, just not as much. And that's cool because it's time for me to pour out more as it's always been. And But there was something that I knew God was calling me to and I needed to step back because it's not in an area that's familiar with me. And let me, I'm not going to give you the details um, as much, but let me say this. It's easy to do something when it's around things that you're familiar with or people that you're familiar with. But what happens when God calls you to do something great in his kingdom? And it's not with what you're familiar with. (laughs) That's not a comfortable feeling. But it doesn't matter whether it's comfortable or not. Because God never calls you to comfort. He calls you to the impossible. He calls you to the places where you have to stretch even when you don't want to. And that's a word right there for someone. Definitely for me. And so I had to consecrate because I had to get self out the way. I had to put my flesh and my fleshly ambitions on the cross and died to it. Because I, I wanted to be like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so, you know, ironically, uh, someone confirmed what God was saying, you know, not verbatim, but there was something I was called to do and I know there's more for me more for my family to do and I'm excited I'm a little scared but pray for a brother because um, you know I haven't stepped out in this realm for a while and it's going to be okay because it's not about me it's about him but I'm going to talk to you today about scars and I know for a lot of people scars have a negative connotation um, but again how you perceive a thing is based on who holds it? If you look at, if you think about scars in the hands of us, man, it has a negative context to it. It has, you know, negative memories, likely. But in the hands of the master, scars are a beautiful thing and really build beautiful things out of scars. So let me give you um, a background. Actually, let me give you a scripture and then I'll give you background on where I'm coming from. It's in Revelations 12, 11, and it won't be readily available by what I'm saying, but you'll see when I start uh, diving into it. So Revelations 12, 11 says this, And he overcame him by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Hmm. So let me talk about this scarring. One of my awesome friends back in the day when I was in middle school was a gentleman named Mitchell White. And uh, growing up in Willowboro, I lived in uh, a park which y'all usually refer to as subdevelopment or development called Garfield North Park. Shout out to you. <laughs> and um, Mitchell lived on the other side of Garfield North. There was a bridge between where I lived and where he lived. And, you know, me and Mitch were like the best of friends. And the common denominator that made us friends was our love for baseball. And we would practice and practice every day, whether at Martin Luther King Elementary School or Memorial, which was closer to his house, Memorial Junior High School. And we, I mean, all summer, it didn't matter whether it was rain, snow, if we weren't playing baseball at Babe Ruth, um, you know, right there at Memorial or Levitt Parkway or other places, we were practicing at Memorial. You know, it'd be me, Mitch, and his brother, Carrie, who was like <laughs> our little brother tagging along. And we would practice, you know, and, and we were so good. We got to the point where we represented our town um, in the, uh, what you could refer to now as AU, we were traveling all-star players. We'd play throughout New Jersey, throughout the whole summer. And me and Mitch were the star players. I mean, you know, if you look at me now, you wouldn't think that, but baseball, I was a pretty darn good baseball player for a while. You know, and it was my ambition at some point to go play pro until my passion shifted to other things, you know, such as music. Um, but anyway, what connected me and Mitch, how we met was kind of ironic. Um, I was playing baseball one day. You know, we had, you ever play street ball? You know, you play on the street. Well, in Willowboro, we had a tennis court between the baseball field and the school at Memorial. And we were playing baseball. I was playing baseball with a couple uh, other kids. Myself, I was a kid. And I hit the ball. And I remember I was running and we had these makeup bases on the tennis court. Because we, you know, we couldn't play in the field because there was a game going on. So we played tennis court. And one day I tripped uh, going around third base and fell. And unbeknownst to me, there was a pile of glass there. And it cut my arm open. Um, I should have had stitches, but I didn't get them. But I still have that scar on my arm to this day because it didn't heal properly. Um, but it was interesting because some one day someone introduced me to Mitch and Mitch said, man, where'd you get that scar from? And I told him the story. And then he found out through that story how much I love baseball. And he told me his love for baseball. And then we just connected. We were like brothers, literally, um, in my seventh and eighth grade year. Ninth grade year, we kind of separated because um, we went to different high schools. He was a year younger than me. And, um, you know, time and, and circumstances and, you know, being in a different high school separated us. And, and I, I, if I can be honest, you know, that's a regret I have to this day. Mitchell's no longer with us. Um, he passed away a couple years ago. His brother, Carrie, passed away years before then. And, you know, I still, I regret not really being as involved with them as I was before, because um, they were good people. You know, the White family, in my life, in my seventh, eighth grade year, there was a lot of turmoil in our household. A lot. I went through a whole lot of things. And uh, I can tell you, Mr. White, you know, I, like like our house, the Whites had, you know, two-parent household, father and mother. I had a insane in my household. But unlike our household, Mr. White was home every day. You know, and, um, and Miss White was so different. She was just so nurturing. And, you know, having Mr. White around was like having a father in my life. You know, he would talk to me. He knew there were things going on. He knew, he, he could read me like the back of my hand, you know. And he was like a father to me. 
and you know I regret not keeping up with them because they were good people um, but I thank God for what they were in my life at that time but the scar getting back to scar the scar was a connection between me and Mitch and made us the best of friends at that time and so what I've learned is that scars you know when, well going back to the scripture you know, when it says in Revelation 12, 11, that they overcame by the word of their testimony, key word being word of their testimony. See, there has to be a test. There has to be something or a trial or something you go through that, you know, when you overcome, when you share that, you know, usually people see it as we share it with words, spoken words. And that's true. When you share with people through words and verbiage, what you've overcome, it helps other people to, to overcome. But there's two key elements. You overcome, number one, because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. Because that blood took your situations, took your circumstances to the cross and nailed it. And in the flesh, he crucified everything. But also the word of your testimony. See, Jesus did the work when he shed his blood, but you have to speak your victory, the word of your testimony. But let me under, let me make sure I'm under, uh, well, I'm sorry, I'm jumbling my words. Let me make sure I'm clear in what I say. The word of your testimony, word is not limited to just what you speak, even though that's a one form. You know, there's also unspoken words. Every word is not a spoken word. There are unspoken words, and unspoken words are often undervalued and not given the same respect that spoken words get. One of the most powerful types of unspoken words are your scars. And let me explain. When I was explaining the story of, of my connection and my friendship with Mitch, I was talking about a physical scar. But in the spirit realm, there are soulish scars. There are scars in your soul that you have healed from, but you don't share. because Not because you're ashamed, because you're free from that. But other people may not be free from the same situation. Some people are still bleeding from their soul scars that God has healed you from. And they need to hear the testimony. They need to hear that, hey, I see you over there. Hey, my brother. Yeah, I know. I know you You uh, were abused physically by your relative. I understand that. Hey, brother, I understand that you were molested when you were younger. Hey, sister, I understand you were abused sexually when you were younger by a loved one. Hey, sister, I understand you were um You've been through divorce when you got married. You thought it would be forever. But let me t show you my scar too, sister. I've been there. And let me give you encouragement. You can make it. Oh, hey, brother, I've been there. I've been there. I've been through that physical abuse. And let me tell you something. It does not define you. It does not make you less than. You can overcome it. See, when you share that soulish scar... It connects you to that person. It gives them the encouragement to not give up and to understand that you too can make it because I am an example of the blood of the lamb that delivered me from that and that persecuted that, that torment on the cross. But also because I can tell you about it now, I can show you my scar and not be ashamed. Mm.
Have you been blessed so far? Awesome. Listen, would you bless us? How? Subscribe to our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Also, leave us a review of Another Look Podcast on any of those sites. Finally, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or our email, which is alptrinity1 at gmail.com. Now, back to the podcast. I think about my uncles. I had an uncle. I had a couple of uncles who served in the military. Um, some of them in Vietnam. Some of them, my, um, some not in Vietnam. But you know, I used to see one of my uncles who served in Vietnam, and um, you know, he would have you know his Vietnam veteran hat, and um, you know, there was a camaraderie among veterans. And I'd see one day we went to a store, and there was another gentleman who wasn't a Vietnam veteran, but he saw my uncle's hat. I'm sorry, it was another gentleman who was a veteran in the Vietnam War, but he didn't have a hat on. And he saw my uncle with the hat on. And he said, what, what platoon were you in? And my uncle started sharing, and they started sharing stories. And they started sharing scars, and sharing stories of how they got those scars, and what war, and what, what battle they got them in. And it opened up a door of conversation. Now, mind you, my uncle was a man of African-American descent. This gentleman was as redneck as they come in South Carolina. But they had a camaraderie because the, the scars connected them to what they had in common, which was the Vietnam War. And so these scars tell stories and open doors for conversations which lead others, which lead towards testimonies. And every scar should not and, and every scar should not be shared unless the scarred person has healed from the wound that caused the scar. That's important to note. See, there are scars you have that God has healed you from. Those soulish scars you have because he's healed you, you can share that testimony. But you also have to walk in godly wisdom because both parties have to be mature enough to handle what you share. And so that's why you have to be led by the Spirit of God in terms of what you share. Because even though you may be mature enough to handle the conversation, the recipient may not be. So you have to be led by the Spirit on, on what you share and who you share it with. Now, here's an important thing. Sometimes you don't need to be led. You need to be wise. It's, well, let me not say it. It's the spirit of wisdom. But let's be honest. You know what scars you still have not healed from in your soul. In that, in, in that situation, don't share anything. Because instead of blessing someone, you'll be bleeding on someone. Mm, my God. See, a scar that, is, if you look at it in the physical, a scar that hasn't healed will continue to bleed. See, there's a thing called collagen in the skin that builds up the clotting that starts the clotting process and builds up a skin covering to protect the skin and then to protect you from the injury of the skin but there are some scars you know that don't heal quickly and in that in that regard you should not be sharing that i mean there's much, i mean i did some research and i looked at some types of scars and you know like a normal fine line scar is one that has a minor wound like a cut that heals and leaves like a raised line but it's like a small flat line which is common when you have surgery you know it's like a line like a little fine line which shows you know that someone had surgery you know and, and those kind of like minor offenses that you've gone through in, in your you know in your walk and you know god has healed you from that okay if the holy spirit leads you to share it and you've you're healed from it then share it but there are some types of scars wow like uh pitted scars or you know, hypertrophic scars or or um 
scar, what they call scar uh, contractures, which are much more pitted. They're, they're deeper. They, the collagen is excessive in the wound, so it actually outgrows the place of the wound. And like, for example, if you have a, a, a one-inch wound, if you have a, a hypertrophic scar, it'll actually grow outside of the one-inch screw. It grows, it goes outside the boundary of the wound. And it's visible to everyone that you've been scarred. And that's reminiscent of some spiritual scars or some solar scars. For example, if you've been abused, whatever type of abuse you've been through, if you still hurt when you see that person or you hurt when you have a reflection on that memory, that means you haven't healed yet. And it's not to indict you. It's to say, look, you have this wound that you're still bleeding, my, my friend. And if you're bleeding, you know, use it in the physical. If you're still bleeding, you go to a doctor or a hospital, get your, your wound stitched up. Well, go back to the manufacturer of you. Go back to the Father and say, I'm bleeding in my soul, Father. Could you please clot this wound up so I can begin healing? You know, and he's faithful to perform his promises if you go to him in, in, in sincerity. And this is the key when you go to him. You got to give it time for the healing to take place. He may stitch you up, but it still takes time for a wound to heal. Think of it in the natural. If you get wounded, it take you know you may get uh, stitches, but it doesn't mean you're healed when you get stitches. It means it helps you to start the healing process. But you're not whole yet because you still have that wound, and it takes time. It takes time, beloved. It takes time. So. You know, be careful. Make sure you understand and be honest with yourself and know, hey, man, if I'm not healed from this scar, I don't need to be sharing it with anyone, number one. And number two, I need to go get healed. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> you know, some people, even when you share these scars, let's not let's be clear. Some people won't believe. You know, when you share about how you've been delivered and set free from something that used to vex your soul, some won't believe in the goodness of God unless they see your scars. In other words, some people need to see proof that, in fact, you have been delivered. You know, they need to see proof or evidence that, hey, man, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand. I, I've been through some things, and, you know, you sound like you've been through it, but I won't believe it until I see it. <laughs> Like from the state of Missouri, you know, Missourians are like, show me, you know, that's the show me state. So, and that's not a bad thing. You know, if they're asking for visible proof of it, all they're saying is, hey, my belief system's not where yours is. So you need to show me evidence. And you know what? There was someone in the Bible just like that. Thomas. Look at John 20, 24 through 29. John 20, 24 through 29. And it says this, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into and, 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 sorry, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were with him, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus the then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, 
because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Again, Thomas wasn't a bad person. You know, a lot of people throw Thomas under the bus saying, you know, Thomas, you should have believed. What, what, what would you have done? If you were in Thomas's position, you saw the man who you believed was the Lord, the Messiah, the coming, uh, I mean, the Father manifested expressly in the flesh, and you saw him die on the cross, a gory place. You saw the, 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 the tragedy, the, the gore, the, the viciousness of his death. And they told you, we've seen him. And Thomas was saying, man, with all the horror I saw at Golgotha, I have a hard time believing he's still alive. Because Thomas was still living in his trauma. Thomas was still living in his trauma. I didn't say drama. I said trauma. And guess what, beloved? When you haven't healed in your soul, you're not in drama. You're still dealing with your trauma. And anytime in the physical, when you have a trauma, you go to a hospital. Because you need, in there is a physician who can help you through the trauma. And like I said before, when you have trauma in your life, he's asking for you to come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. I mean, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the great physician who wants to heal you. Because your test... Your trauma will birth your testimony. And your testimony is not for you. It's to help others overcome. You know, growing up in the church, I grew up in a tabernacle, Baptist church, um, and, and other churches I've grown under, we used to have this statement that each one reach back and pull another person out. Don't hear that too often, but that's a common phrase we said in the, in the African-American community. You know, each one reach back and pull another person out. And that's what your testimony does. It reaches back to someone who is in that same pit as you and pulls them up out of it. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take those, those scars that we have in our soul. Because see, even though you're healed, you still have a scar. And that scar, when you look at it, is a memorial. It's an altar to the goodness of God. It's a testimony to the world that I once was blind, but now... I see. I see. And people need to see today, people. People need to see, beloved. People are dying to see. People are hungry to see and know, does anybody care about me? Does anybody see my burden? Does anyone understand the pain I go through? A couple a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a few of my loved ones, and they were sharing with me their pain. And at the time, I guess I didn't get it, but I get it now. What they were saying is, hey, even though you're healed, I'm still pleading. And I had to take a step back because even though I was sharing my testimony, of how God healed me. Mind you, the, even though the individuals who caused the scar didn't, you know, they, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, I had to realize it was just like Jesus on the cross, you know, asked God to forgive them for they don't know what they were doing. 
there doesn't mean everyone's there. And because of that, you have to be patient with people. You have to be patient with your loved ones. You have to pray. You have to pray, not because you're better, not because you're you're any unique person with a title, but because it's the right thing to do. Because who wants to see anybody hurting? And they were sharing with me their hurt and their pain. And it's ironic because they were sharing with me because there was a season in my life where I was dying. I mean, literally dying. I was diagnosed with a disease that was killing me. And, you know, my daughters, these are my loved ones, my wife, my son, they had to watch me die away. I thank God for the blood because I didn't die. But my oldest daughter, she was the one who, when my wife had to work, because I was, you know, I was able to work only part-time because of my illness. My oldest daughter would be the one that come in the room and feed me and would see me crying and wither away because I was in so much pain. And, you know, it was in that season that no one was around. Uh, no family came around, no friends. Actually, I had a few friends reach out. They couldn't come see me because they weren't in Jersey, but they would call me and pray over me every day. And my daughters would look at me like, well, where's X and where's Y and where's Z? I thought they were close. And, you know, I've since then learned to forgive and move on, but they haven't. And it's hard for them. And it's not because they're wrong. It's just because, you know, they were there when I was dying. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And it sticks with them. You know, and I, I've had to learn to go back, and I'm still in the process of going back, and I still, every day, take time to say, God, help us to heal as a family. Because when, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I remember, like, when my mother um, had hurt her back. She had, I mean, messed up her back so bad she couldn't walk. She was laying in bed all day in traction. And I remember, similar to my daughter's how I used to say, well, where's all her friends, all her, you know, family members? Her mother's laying here in bed, can't even feed herself, can't even wash. And my sisters have to do that, and I, or I have to help, and no one's here. And I remember how it would make me kind of bitter. Not kind of, it wouldn't be made me bitter. Because I felt like my mom and dad were there for everybody. But when we have need, no one's there. And, and it, caused, uh, it caused a deep bitterness in me. And it took years for me to get free from that. Because it, it became a us versus them kind of thing. And I'm realizing that, you know, hey, my daughters went through the same thing. And they're going through the same thing. And they're not bad people. They're being honest with me. I was being cavalier and, and not understanding their pain. I was not in their boat and empathetic with them. And for that, I had to repent because it was like, you know, even though it was you who was, even though, you know, it was me who was dying, it doesn't matter. You have to, if I'm dying, they were dying too. Because they were watching it happen. And they were praying earnestly. Man. Mm. I remember each of my daughters and my son coming in the room at different times. And even though I've restricted the room to just my oldest daughter coming in, sometimes I'd fall asleep and I knew you know, I'd feel handsome. For sure, my wife was always praying over me. But there were times my daughters were coming. I know it was the one my son coming. 
and they would get on knees and pray for me. Because I'd get, I'd be in so much pain. I'm, I'm being honest. I'd be in so much pain, I'd fall asleep. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of pain. Um, and they would pray over me. And I still believe to this day, it's that effectual, fervent prayer of my righteous children, righteous wife that availed much and allowed me to live again. I've never been down that road again, thank God. But what I'm learning is, even though I shared my scars with them, they weren't ready for that at that time because they were still bleeding. So my prayer has been lately that God allow the, the wound to be stitched in the spirit realm. Allow their soul to be stitched, Father, by the hand of you, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And allow them to walk in the newness of life, God. As you did in the eighth day, eight representing newness, as you came in the eighth day for Thomas, God, they're asking also for physical proof that you care. Show them you care, Father. Show them your face. Show them your goodness, Father. And see, when people, when you have that heart for people, whether it's your family members, when you have that heart for people, God will answer your prayers. Because, see, it's not about your selfish ambition. It's about them. It's about them. So why am I saying all this? Because, see, when you reveal your scars, people are going to show you their scars, too. And when you see other people's scars, understand that everyone's not going to arrive at the same destination as you and automatically receive what you're saying. They may they, they may celebrate the fact that you're healed, but they may not acknowledge the fact that, hey, I have a scar too, but I'm not, either I'm not healed or I'm not ready to be healed because I'm still hurting. I'm still bleeding. And you got to have enough empathy, enough compassion to say hey I see you bleeding but I'm not going anywhere could I help you heal could I help you stitch up that wound could I stay with you while the father can I pray over you so I can call the physician and who can heal you and I'll stay with you I'm not going anywhere I'll ride this out with you it's okay I'll ride this out with you because I love you that much you mean that much to him, and because you mean that much to him, you mean that much to me. See, that's what's called discipleship. It's a missing element in the church today. You know, um, my spiritual father, Ian, uh, Dr. Lamont, was such an awesome man who taught about discipleship. He built a whole church around discipleship. Rest in peace, Dr. Lamont. Um, but now in today's church, it's kind of weird. You know, excuse my that noise. Today's church is kind of weird because it's all about how many souls we save. And that's great. Well, well, let's not say souls. How many people we get saved or born again. And that's great because when you get them born again, that's their, their spirit regenerated. But don't forget that they have a soul that's being worked out. See, the Bible clearly says that we work out our soul salvation with fear and trembling. So even though your spirit man is saved, your soul is being saved. But the problem is your soul is not being saved if you not have someone who walks it out with you. That's called discipleship. And, you know, in the, today's mega church and even in the smaller churches, I've seen it in both. Even the medium-sized churches, it's about how many people we could say we got saved, but how many people are you discipling? 
How many people are you calling after the road, the, the salvation call on Sunday to see how they're doing and to see, hey, can I walk with you? Do you mind if I come over and minister to you? And can I just bring a donut over? Can I bring a, a snack over so we can just build a fellowship together? Instead of waiting for them to come back, we got to build them up. And sometimes the way we build them up is by the word of our testimony. Because, see, they're saved, but they're still wounded. They're still soul-starved. Shout out to you, Pastor Stephen. They're still, you know, he, he said a word. Man, he said something. Man, he's been preaching. But he made a quote. He said a quote for the past two weeks that's so true. He said, we, we are spiritually prosperous, but we're broke. We're soul broken. In other words, I'm sorry. He was saying we're spiritually um, spiritually prosperous, but soul our soul is um, impoverished. Wow. Our spirit is prospering, but our soul is impoverished. And he said, if you if you have a if your spirit is prosperous and your soul is impoverished, you will live life a broken person. Mm. Man, they hit home. They hit home. Because I've lived that most of my life. I've lived that most of my life. Because I was living out of my hurt, out of my pain. Especially when you get hurt in church. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Because the one place we seek refuge is in the church. You know, the world, we expect them to treat us wrong. But when you go to church, you expect we treat it with respect and love. But man, when people show you their um, their backside and they hurt you, that's like, you feel like the fathers hurt you. But, you know, understand something. This is, I want you to clearly get this message, beloved. People who hurt you in the church have nothing to do with the Father. How people act in the church has nothing to do with God. That's just people being people. But understand something. The church is a hospital. And people are in, and people who make, they may put on a front, they may act like they're spiritually superior and all that, but from the pulpit down to the back door, Every person in that church is a patient, even the doctor, meaning the pastor. The pastor is not only a shepherd, but he's also a sheep. The pastor is not only a doctor, but he's also a patient, which means what? We should extend grace to everybody from the pulpit down. Doesn't matter how they carry themselves, still pray for them because they have work to be done too. They still have parts of their soul that are bleeding too so we need to have grace and we need to have tolerance and patience with our shepherds Hmm. well I've said a lot (laughs) didn't mean to go this long but you know it's been it's been four weeks almost now since I've done my last podcast and uh, I just want to tell y'all thank you for your patience Hopefully it won't be another four weeks. I'm trying to get back on a two-week schedule. Um, But it was a good four-week sabbatical getting away and consecrating myself unto God so I could hear clearly from Him. I want to give a shout-out to um, Tabernacle Baptist Church, specifically uh, Leslie Jones Williams. You blessed us. Um, You know, we're still healing from losing my mother. Um, She sent a beautiful card to us individually. 
on behalf of the Jones family, because Reverend R.W. Jones was my first pastor, my first spiritual father. And um, I thank God for that family. I really do. Thank you, Leslie. And I want to thank you, Monica, my co-worker, and also I want to thank James Ward and the Ward family, Mark Polite, Troy Bratton. I want to thank um, Magdalene Jenneret and uh, Renee Worthen and uh, Katisha Gill for reaching out to us. Um, also, and uh, um, Reverend Lloyd, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. And for those who prayed for us, I want to thank you. You know, um, it's not easy when you lose your parent. It's just not. And there's still nights I wake up in the middle of the night in tears because um, I miss my mother. You know, she wasn't perfect, but I don't think any of us are. But she was my mother. And for what it's worth, if it wasn't for her, our family would not be living for Christ. God changed her life and she changed all of our lives by showing us the love of God and the, the power of the Holy Spirit. I saw so many things manifested in her life. I learned so much by going into her library and reading about the spirit realm and reading about the Holy Spirit and reading about even demonology and hermeneutics and all that stuff. Even before I went back and got a you know, Bible college degree. Uh, but it's not the degree that matters, it's the heart. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, you know, so like having my mom in my life who gave me the hunger for the, to learn the Word of God. And so now that role is, you know, we've had that role for years and our kids, you know, we raised them in this, in this Word of God. And, you know, it's not easy because they're adults now and they choose their own path. But everything comes back to the cross and still comes back to the Word of God. And I thank God that each of my individual adult children are having a hunger for God in their own individual way. Thank God for what he's doing in their lives. So, just want to thank y'all. Love you. Keep your head up, okay? Know that God is with you. He's your present help in a time of trouble. And there is nothing you're facing that is too hard for God. I'm praying for you. I'm trusting that God will free you and deliver you from whatever bondages have you held captive because the anointing still removes the burden and destroys the yokes of the enemy. And if you feel, and if you have not heard, you know, one person say to you, I love you. I will say it to you now. Beloved, I love you. Because he loved you first. And you know what? You're beautiful. You are a beautiful person. And God has wonderfully made you. Marvelous are his works. And my soul knoweth it well. Mm. God bless you. Love ya. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on Another Look Podcast. I hope and pray this is challenged, inspired, interrupted, and taking you higher. Before we go, we never take for granted our call to lead others to the cross. So if you want to be born again, 
We ask you these simple questions. Do you believe Jesus was sent in the earth by the Father to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin and for man's sins? And do you want Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? If you answered yes, then please repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you came to the earth just for me. I believe that you came to take away the sin of the world, including my sin. I ask you to forgive me for my sins, past, present, and future. I ask you into my heart and life as my Lord and Savior. I confess that you are my Savior. I give you free reign to Lord over my life and make me whole. I receive you now. In Jesus' name, I declare I am born again. Hallelujah. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer of faith, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to contact us by email at alptrinity1 at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Finally, if you have any prayer requests or you just want to reach out and talk to us uh, by social media or email, we will respond as soon as we can. Keep your head up, beloved, and guard your heart. Love ya. Welcome home, Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful.